Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie. I'm Brian Green. And today we are taking a look back at the Leap Back 2009 Quantum Leap Convention. And my co-host today is Brian Green, who had a lot to do with getting that off the ground. Brian, a lot of people may know you from quantumleap-alsplace.com, which is the main Quantum Leap fan site that there is. How did you first become a fan of Quantum Leap? And then how did your fandom turn into having the biggest Quantum Leap fan site on the internet? Well, I was, I remember I was 13 years old, sitting in my grandmother's house and saw the commercial. And uh, I remember my parents were wanting to leave, but I didn't want to leave because I wanted to see the show. And they thankfully let me stay and watch it, even though it was, I guess, around 10 o'clock when it ended. And the rest is history. I started putting together a personal website in, uh, I guess it was around year 2000 when I got my first computer. And I just put a few pictures and things of various things that I was interested in. And one of them was Quantum Leap, so I had a special section dedicated to that. And it just started growing. I started looking online, some of the other websites that were out there, quantumleaping.com, some of the Yahoo sites, and uh, the Sci-Fi Channel site as well. And I met a lot of great people there, a lot of other fans. And um, I just started putting together a lot of different things, videos, pictures, anything I can get my hands on, comic book stuff, fanzines, and everything. And it just started growing and growing. So that was back in around 2000. And uh, here we are in 2015 about 15 years later. And it is what it is now. How did your fandom and your website evolve into having a full-blown Quantum Leap convention? It really started with the fans. I ran the uh, the Ozplays message board that's still there, and people kept asking for conventions and when the next one was going to be and who was going to run it. So I started talking to some people, and uh, I came across some great people. I met Nancy Cotter, Carol Cartwright, Donna Dickinson, Helene Kaplan, Emma Fee, Maurice Wallo, Barbara Pilnick, and Lisa Montabano. And um, some of those are in the UK, and some of them are uh, spread across the United States in various areas. And uh, we kind of became a team as far as that goes. And uh, we decided to meet up in Washington, D.C. for a, a full formal meeting to see if we really wanted to do this. And uh, we put a, um, a fan survey out there to see if there was any interest, in, and there was a great interest in it. Uh, we got a fantastic feedback on that. So we decided to go ahead, and that's how it you know, kind of all started. Did any of you know how to start a convention, or were you just playing it by ear? A few of the ladies did actually participate in other conventions, mostly Scott Bakula-related conventions. But, you know, they had a lot of great feedback. You know, Nancy Cotter was our finance and legal person and uh, did a lot of the the legal legwork that I didn't know how to do. And um, some of the other ones had various talents that they brought to the table as well. I was just a, a website guy and a, a big fan, and um, I learned a lot through the entire process. But I can't say that I did it alone. All the ladies really put a lot of talent and effort into it just as much as I did, if not more. I know it's difficult sometimes for us to book guests. I was wondering if you had difficulties at first and after you got the big guests, then the other ones fell into place or was it difficult to get all of them or was it easy? Well, we started with just a few looking on imdb.com, getting some contact information. I actually started finding some of the lesser known actors and actresses first and got a few yeses got a few no's but it wasn't until i guess about a year out from the convention dates in 2009 that we we got a yes from 
Scott Bakula and his agent. So that really that really made everything take off. We were able to start selling tickets, and that really gave us a big boost. But yeah, we we actually had a much of the lesser known ones first. I know you probably can't say how much it costs to get each guest, but what were some ballpark figures? How much does it cost to put on one of these conventions? Well, the actual cost to put on the convention, it was really more paying for the hotel, paying for the um, you know the audiovisual that we had and uh, things like that. I can tell you exactly how much we paid each actor, and that was nothing. They all did it for free. Really? Wow, that is very surprising. It was amazing. Yes, all of them were fantastic. They all seem to be really nice people. They were, every single one of them. They speak highly of you, too. Amazing. It's great <laughs> to hear. <laughs> okay, so what we're doing is we're taking a look back, or a listen back, actually, to The Leap Back 2009. And this convention, you can find out more about it at leapback2009.com, correct? Yes, it's still up and running. Is it still available on DVD? No, it's not. Okay. It's out of print now. If you're one of the lucky ones that have it, you're very lucky. What we're going to do with this limited series is go back and listen to a panel at a time. And the first panel we're going to listen to is actually from disc three of the DVD set. And it's panel number six. It has Deborah Pratt, the amazing Deborah Pratt, Diamond Farnsworth. Mike Besh, Harriet Margulies, and uh, I believe Ron Groh was there as well. Can you tell me what you remember about this panel? It's been a few years. Deborah Pratt's always amazing. She spoke a lot about uh, you know some backstories and and some funny things that happened. And Diamond Farnsworth is also amazing. He was Scott Bakula's stunt double, as you know. Really great guy. Ron Grode, Mike Besh, um, some of the um, background guys on the show, and as well as Harriet Margulies. Harriet was a a really just amazing woman. She worked with Don for many many years and had some uh, fantastic and and very humorous stories to tell about the show as well. So sit back, relax, and have a listen to panel number six from The Leap Back, 2009. Our guest stars from Quantum Leap are here to converse with you once again. So without any further ado, let's bring up the lovely Harriet Margulies. Mrs. Harriet Margulies. Hello, ma'am. Hi there. I'm going to give you some time. Oh, sure. You want to sit here? Uh, and as you can already see, it's Jay. Oh, wait a minute. You know what? It's old home week. By the way, the lovely Deborah Pratt has just walked on stage. She will be with you. Someone signed a, someone bought a script of Color of Truth. And I told them that they could ask you if you would support it. I would be honored to. Okay. Absolutely. I'm going to let Miss, the lovely Miss Deborah Pratt introduce everyone who's going to be on this panel with her since she knows them better than I do. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the lovely Deborah Pratt. Good morning. I want to say quickly, Mark has done, for, from every little bit that I've seen, such an amazing job at hosting and setting these up and keeping things flowing and... So, yes, a big round of applause for him. And for Brian. Wait a minute, have you all been having fun? Yes. This has been incredible. How's the costume? I didn't get to see the costume. We have on video somewhere. Was it fun? Did, did, who won? Played again, Sam, episode? Uh-oh. All right, I can't wait to see these pictures. 
and, and again, thanks to Brian for making this all happen. It's really well done. It's flowed well. Everybody's been very clear. So uh, I want to take a second. I know Harriet's already out here, but this is a, a real personal honor for me. Harriet has been Don's assistant since I've known her. <laughs> Back in Airwolf days and Magnum days, right. Magnum. Harriet met Don Belisario in 1980. He had just created Magnum PI, and she was assigned as his production secretary. She worked on all his Universal series, Tales of the Gold Monkey, Tequila and Bonetti, Airwolf, and Quantum Leap. Don left to go to Paramount, and Harriet remained at Universal. When Don's series, Jag, was canceled by NBC and picked up by CBS, she discovered he had created a beautiful blonde character that he had named after her. She was so touched, she went to Paramount to give him a hug, and he asked her to work on the show, and Harriet agreed. And they've been working ever since together, all the way into NCIS. Right. This was what fascinated me. Prior to meeting Don, Harriet worked on Kojak, and she wrote a teleplay. Wow. I'm going, where's the next one? Wait a minute, we need you, Harriet. <laughs> Before joining the studio, she worked as an entertainment trade, paper reporter, a columnist, and a press agent. Watch out, uh, Jay and represented clients such as Bill Cosby and Tiny Tim. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Harriet Margulies. <laughs> and I want to add one thing more, because this is a lot of production, but the reason that these conventions happened is right there. We were doing the show, and Harriet, who somehow had become the... the input for all the fans. She discovered the fans on the internet. She came into my office. She said, you've got to check this out. There are all these people on the show after the show. You've got to check this out. And they talk about the shows. And when we decided, you know, we've got leapers. We could have a convention. I remember talking to Harriet going, how do you get to the groups that, you know, put on these conventions? And she said, I know. And the first two conventions the reason they happened and how they came together and the style that's been set and still, I think, plays now 20 years later is Harriet Margulies. Ladies and gentlemen, the queen of the leaps, come with leap cons. <laughs> All right, now sharing the stage are the people that really made this show happen and tick on a daily basis. If I may introduce Ron Groh, he's been a member of the DGA, he worked as a production manager. Since 1980, and apart from the five years he spent working on Quantum Leap, Ron also worked on Dukes of Hazard, Chips, Eric Estrada, okay, their story is there, and a number of TV shows and various Disney films. He was the heartbeat, I gotta tell you, that, that kept us on time, happening, moving. <laughs> and every time we ran into a problem, he'd say, you can't have that, but this is what you can have. And I think that's the greatest gift anybody can have is somebody working with them. So when you can't have something, they know 10 other things that you can have. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron Crow. You know, Quantum Leap was a really unique show. And it was a really tough show because every week we had to do a different location. Not only a different time, but it did, we had to create a different location in that time period. And so the person that did that for us was Mike R. Beach, our location manager. Mike, come on out. 
Mike's been a location manager since 1981. He spent four years working on Fantasy Island, three years on T.J. Hooker, five wonderful years on Quantum Leap, yes, (laughs) (laughs) and 11 years on Seventh Heaven, and now he's on... um, The Secret Life of the American Teenager. Which is a big hit on ABC Family Channel. Yes, it is. Yes. Going on with the hits. Wow. All right, now, we had a lot of fun on Quantum Leap. And one of the reasons that we had so much fun was because we could put Scott in these amazing situations. And Scott Bakula, as you know, is one of these incredible actors who just put on the coat of the character that was created and made it so much his own. And when we walked in and said... You're going to be a catch trapeze artist. He would go, okay. And then we'd say, and you're going to be a stuntman. And he would go, oh, okay. <laughs> and he was always enthusiastic and he was always wonderful because he knew he was going to be in the hands of Diamond Farnsworth. Ladies and gentlemen, Diamond Farnsworth. Diamond grew up in Hollywood Hills. He married Linda, who's really wonderful. I love her. And they have a beautiful daughter, Courtney, and are about to have their first grandbaby. (laughs) Diamond is a real live cowboy uh, from birth. He rode in rodeo circuit as a young man. He tried his hand as a variety of other activities, such as boat racing, car racing, skateboarding, skydiving, and motorcycle riding. These activities help pave the way for his current profession as stuntman. Diamond had been working as a stuntman since 1968 with his first role in the film Paint Your Wagon. He's been... Yes, give him a hand for that. He's been coordinating film stunts since 1980. Some of his credits include First Blood... Thanks, Max. First Blood, Rambo, Rhinestone... No Way Out, The Big Easy, Nadine, Pink Cadillac, The Astronaut Farmer, and The Dukes of Hazard. The Younger Years for his TV credits include Tales of the Gold Monkey, Quantum Leap, Three on a Match, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, First Monday, Crowfoot, Jag, and NCIS, currently in its sixth season. <laughs> Now that we've got you in this room, uh, I think what I'd love to have this amazing panel do is kind of give you what it was like from the moment that, you know, Harry was in the office with us when we were trying to get these scripts out and turning them over, and then you have to get them to Ron, and then Ron's got to get them to Mike, and then Mike says, okay, don't kill anybody. (laughs) Make sure it's all safe, which Diamond did with perfection. So... Harriet, you want to talk just a little bit about how we got these scripts out <laughs> and who they went to and how they were distributed? And... Well, I'm trying to think. It was the beginning of Microsoft Word. Everybody know about the Internet? <laughs> well, actually, Universal uh, didn't think uh, it was worth investing in. So <laughs> in order to talk to the fans, people would call me from all over the world, believe it or not. And I would fax, uh, you know, what's happening on the set and what's going to happen when he leaves next time. And they would put it on something called Prodigy, which uh, 
I don't think exists anymore. But that's how the network worked, or that's how I worked it. And, uh, oh, about the scripts. Well, it was Microsoft Word, which just typed the script without the numbers and the continues. And you had to put it through something called ASCII. Anybody know what that is? You do, huh? On something called Scripta. I used to call it um, Bill Gates' Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> so I envy anybody. I'm not doing scripts anymore, but now they have these wonderful final drafts that puts the numbers in, you know, while you're typing it. But it was uh, pretty hellish. And unfortunately, once you put it through Scripter, you couldn't change it. So if Don had a revise, he couldn't work in Scripter. He would go back to the original script, which meant we had to read every line to see where he put the changes in. Are you all following me? Can you imagine? <laughs> and <laughs> which we did. And, Don, and I remember, and you know, then we had to proof the damn thing. And uh, Don would stand in the doorway, ready to leave, and he said, give me the script. And I said, uh, we're still proofing it. He said, it takes you longer to proof than it did me to write it. And I said, remember the old commercial, we will release no script before it's time. <laughs> <laughs> Just to drive him crazy. I don't know why he kept me around for... Let's see. Because you're a perfectionist. It's true. You know, you're absolutely right. Don was one of the last people to come to computers. He did not want to do computers when they first came in. He loved his, his electric typewriter. So to get him to move to computer was a true act of God or time or something. Well, uh, I used to say Don wrote his greatest scripts, too, on a typewriter. Yeah, he, he's I agree. A, he's a reporter. Or an ex a former reporter, like I am, actually. And uh, so he used to just type away. And then I would proof it and retype it and send it to the print shop. Boy, this is jogging my memory. I mean, it was like uh, some uh, fantasy. You know, it's so simple now. I really envy everybody. But uh, And then when that script was done... We give it to Ron. Late. Oh. <laughs> but now we know why. <laughs> right. In episodic, uh, there's seven or eight days of preparation, and then the shoot takes seven to eight days, depending on how many days are allotted in the budget. Since the scripts would arrive late, for all the reasons Harriet's mentioned, Don would often come to us in the initial concept meeting and say, I need a church a park, a library, and so we would start scouting, looking for these locations, preferably close together so there wasn't a lot of time wasted in, in uh, moving from one place to the other. But the highlight of all of this was our location scout lunch, which uh, was, uh, we got to know the restaurants in the area quite well. And a lot of our pre-planning and production took place there. So um, often we'd get the script probably sometimes the day before, sometimes the night before, and uh, we really didn't have any, any time to build any sets, although we would have uh, one set uh, to build, which usually took all weekend 
on overtime and double time and was much more expensive. So consequently, we were on the road uh, outside for six, seven, sometimes a total eight days of the entire episode. Um, it was quite an experience. We would call it life in the van. We would get there at 7 o'clock in the morning, we'd all pile into a van, and we would take off scouting. And a lot of times we called it cold scouting. And that's when you would go out with Don just telling you, find me a house. And as we're driving around, the phone would ring and Don would say, now, make it the house uh, eastern side, uh, make it Mexican, make it whatever. And um, we'd start scouting. And a lot of times it was, we had directors, we had one gentleman named Joe Nopicitano, who would never pick a location till the night before filming. Wasn't Joe here Friday? He was. Yeah, he was. Joe well, was here Friday. Joe, Joe no Picatano. And <laughs> he'd never pick a location. And, and we'd always pull it off. And it was very expensive to do it that way, but the show paid off. And it was a big hit. And um, we would um, uh, work with Diamond. And we would try to, if we knew it was big stunts, we'd try to figure out some place that he wouldn't die. <laughs> And locations were, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 1955 to 2020. Was that the... Well, I mean, we, we couldn't could, go back. We couldn't go back. I think it was 1955. Some shows were 1955, and then we'd go up to the year 2020, I think. Yes, we, we pretty much code that. But we had one show, Leap Between the States, where we actually went back. To 1860, the Civil War. Oh, the Civil War. You're right. And we right, did that the war at Disney Ranch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, it was amazing. Again, I have to say, if you look at the quality of the show and how well it holds up 20 years later, I think that we had an amazing team who would take what we as the writers put down on paper and bring it to life in a way that made this show seem like a major movie every week. Don't you think so? I, but that's the team. That's Ron, that's Mike, that's... And then when Diamond stepped in, I mean, there was a, he added an edge of believability and to Scott's true, true, true talent. Scott was fearless. But Diamond, tell us about some of the stunts that we did. I, I, one thing I have to say, I, I was very blessed to be able to, to work with a man like Scott Bakula. This guy's got more talent than I've gotten through my whole body. He is just unbelievable talented. And uh, one of the shows, he never rode a motorcycle, ever. <laughs> now, me growing up, we all, you know, everybody thinks, never rode a motorcycle. And in 30 minutes, I had him riding a big motorcycle. Not a little one, but a big one. And I always said he was like a duck to water. He just took to everything so great. He, um, on the trapeze show we did, he, he didn't like heights that much. And hanging upside down as a catcher kind of got him sick. I mean, and talk about every day we had him up hanging upside down. He would come down and go outside and, you know, and, and get sick because it just throw him off so much. But he didn't back down one iota. Where most, most actors would say, that's it, I'm not doing this anymore. He was up there every day, swinging upside down. And he did a great job. Unbelievable. I mean, that's the kind of guy, as, as an actor, you want to work with. 
You know, he would try anything. He would, and it's always better to get the actor to do most of the stuff so you can see that it is the actor. And he was just unbelievable. I, I, and like I say, I couldn't ask for a better actor to work with than Scott Bakula. He was just fantastic. I remember you taking Scott out to the trapeze training area. Right. Which I said, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And she came. <laughs> and I said, I am so glad I don't have to do this. <laughs> no, you did good up there. You swang across and had fun. And it was that let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. Right, to go into the net. To go and into the net. It, you know how hard it is to let go 20 feet up above a, a net? It's hard. <laughs> so you swing back and forth till you get your confidence up. Then your hands are slipping. You go, well, I'm going to have to come off this one way or another. So, <laughs> Great teacher. Um, but... That really made Quantum Leap a big hit was everybody, though. It doesn't take one person. It takes a team. And we were like a family. Everybody loved everybody. Everybody pitched in. If I needed help, everybody would come and help, you know. If you're doing a Western or if you're doing car stuff, everybody gives 100%. And that's what made it so great to work on this show, you know, with everybody. And i say one thing again about Scott was we would put in a 17-hour a, a day, and at the end of the day, he would have to go home, learn his lines, and before that, he went to the gym, came back, showered, and learned his lines. But before all that, after we wrapped, he helped the grips and electrician put all their stuff away. Every night, he'd do that. He'd help the grips put all their stuff away. I've never seen an actor do that. That's true. Never. Well, one thing we also, I think you'll agree, is out of five years, Dean Stockwell and Scott Bakula never became stars. They never acted like a star. They never treated the crew like a star. They treated everybody like they were just a nice human being. And so out of five years, I worked on a show called Simon and Simon, where one actor would not come out of his motorhome until the other actor would come out of his motorhome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you would sit there for 20, 30 minutes talking. One actor just to put his foot on the step so the other actor could look out and put his foot on the step. It would be a contest. And like you were saying, I was just going to bring that up, is at night, Dean and, I mean, mostly Scott, would grab cable, would start saying, come on, boys, let's go home and get some sleep. And so for five straight years, it was nothing but a family. It was the greatest feeling in the world when you would not have to worry about your backside. And a lot of shows, I would call it wearing the armor, because when you walk out of a production meeting, you hear tink, 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 because everybody would be shooting at you. Everybody wants you to die. And on this show, we were one big family, and we stuck together. And like Diamond said, we helped each other. And we just didn't care about anything except having a good time and putting out a good product. It's really true. I mean, yeah. there's, this series was a family. And there was so much love and so much fun. And I think, especially on the set, Dean and Scott set that tone. They knew if there was a problem. Scott knew if there was a, a family problem or an emotional problem with somebody in the crew. He was like, he was daddy. And, and Dean was there. But their joy to be with each other and the fun that they had. Remember the pie fight? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was on Seabride. I think they yeah. did it more than once, though. Poor Scott. I think I've done some horrible things to him. But he had to be in garbage for like three days. It was relatively clean garbage, right. though. It was always clean. Relatively clean garbage. But he was wonderful. And at the end of one night, Dean came through with, a pot, with these pies, and they pied each other. 
But again, you never knew what gift of joy was going to happen on the set. So it kept it fresh and exciting. And like Diamond said, and like you know, Mike said, we were there for each other. Everybody watched each other's back. And it's one of the rare, rare shows that, in Hollywood, that was allowed to happen. Do you remember the Stuntman show? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, originally, I think I had mentioned this, uh, Brad Pitt, didn't he come in and audition for us, Harriet? Do you remember that? Brad Pitt came in to audition. He was a young actor. He had just done Thelma and Louise. And he didn't want to be there. He was absolutely miserable. And I remember saying to the director, and the casting people kept saying, he's going to be a big star, he's going to be a big star. And I said, you know what, he, he probably is going to be a big star because he's gorgeous, he's got this amazing attitude, but it's real attitude. And our set is so special, I would not want somebody that didn't want to be there to be on the set. And I don't remember the gentleman that we hired. But he was very good. I mean, he did a great job. Well, yeah. Do you remember when we hired Jason Priestley as a day actor? <laughs> yes. Okay, and then right after that he became 90210. That's right. Yeah. Right. And of course, um, the car show. The car show downtown LA. Oh, right. Kamikaze Kid. That's right. right. Kamikaze Kid. From Desperate Housewives, Terry Hatcher. And yeah, I mean, we've been very blessed. And Northern, Ex <laughs> and Northern, Ex and Northern Exposure when we did the. Um, uh, oh, Catch a Falling Star. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Janine. Janine Turner. 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 Brooke and Brooke Shields. We launched a lot of actors and actresses. Brooke Shields, as a matter of fact, I went in to pitch Brooke Shields, and they said to me, no, she's done, no, no, no. I said, look, she deserves a comeback, and I think she's got a funny bone in her. And they said, nobody's ever seen it, and they turned us down and turned me down and turned you know, everybody down, and I said, just bring her in. And I think Don met with her and said, you know what, I think Deborah's right, I think she can do this. And she started her com comedy career off of that show that we did. I can't think of the name of it. Leaping of the Shrew. No, yeah. was that? Yeah. Oh, that's right, okay. Yeah. You wrote the one for Elvis Presley. No, I didn't write No, um, that was one Whitmore directed. Yeah. yeah. I thought you wrote that one. That's it. Yes, it was. I mean, and we were talking to some of the actors yesterday who said this was the, the opportunity to be on this show was such a gift because unlike a show now that has eight ensemble characters, you were really the guest star. You carried that show right with Scott and Dean as, as an equal. And Scott and Dean made you feel like an equal, as did everybody, everybody. on the set. Yeah. You know, you, you became family as soon as you walked through the door, which is why these people still come today to support the fans and everything else. I was going to ask uh, you guys about how you put together the, um, what do you call it? The, remember the opening stunt where he's, Scott's on the dance floor, he leaps in, and it's a... Oh, a yeah, ratchet. We yeah. had him on a ratchet. That was uh, on the stuntman shows. He leaps in, and he's standing there, and a guy comes in wearing a trench coat and pulls it back and pulls out a shotgun and blows him away. Now, you think about when he leaps in, he thinks he's on the dance floor of like Saturday Night Live and he's going, oh, this isn't too bad. Then the guy shows up with a shotgun and blows him through this big plate glass window. And so what we do for that is you, you wear a vest, a full jerk vest, and there's a ratchet in the back with a cable on it. 
And when you hit that button, that ratchet just snatches you back. It literally jerks you off your feet. It's, it's a pretty good deal. We had a big set of pads behind the window, so when I went through the window, I hit the pads, of course, you know. But then they did the close-up of Scott, so they have to do, they have to put him in the vest, and we turn the air down and just put a pad behind him just to get him moving so they can intercut it with the big, the big stuff. And I mean, he was so gun-ho on that, and you'd be surprised how many actors wouldn't even have done that. Wouldn't even a, had a, wouldn't no more done that than anything. You know, it's, he, he is definitely the best guy to work for. Unbelievable. One other thing about Scott is one day we had to go to Lancaster to shut down the boulevard. And it was the first time we actually made a, a company move where you had to hire hotels and people and stay. And one room, they missed it by one room. And one of the grips wasn't going to get a room. And guess who'd give up his room? Scott. She said, I'll give it up. I'll, figure, I'll go find another hotel. So, and that's after about five years of filming. So, again, you wish in your lifetime you can get a group of 60 people together and be family like that and still talk to each other and still love each other. And everybody, you, you set this crew together. If we brought the whole crew in here, it would be just one big love fest. <laughs> it would. And, and it's, Diamond and I have known each other for, since we were 18 years old. And so um, it just, it all, it works well when you have a company that puts somebody together where everybody's friendly. Why don't you tell them what we did? What, 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 what did we do? Oh, we used to park cars together. For Lou Wasserman. For Lou Wasserman. We used to... Um, Lou was, right? as, he, he was CEO of Universe Studios. Yeah. He was a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we worked really out of a restaurant called Chasen's Restaurant. And then he and uh, the gentleman who ran Chasen's were dear friends, so we were hired... And um, we did destroy a few cars. <laughs> I don't remember if you remember. Is that where you started your stunts with that's cars? What, no, but one night, this is a funny story. One night, this guy drives this Mercedes up, and he hands Mike a $10 bill. Back then, that $10 bill, when you're, that was a lot of money, and says, keep it close. Well, Mike said, okay. So Mike just pulled it up, forgot about it. Car's running. Three hours later, this guy comes out, and he gives him another 10. Thank you for keeping it close. And Mike forgot all about it. Harriet, did you have a favorite episode? Well, it could be the leap home where Don named one of the cows after me. <laughs> Anybody remember that? That's right, that's right. <laughs> So, you know, I was in charge of typing the script, so uh, when it's uh, on the uh, cast sheet, I, under animals, I put Harriet and the rest of the herd. <laughs> That's cute. But I do remember, you know, the leap is constructed at the end of the episode that's currently shooting. So we had just wrapped for the season, and the opening episode was going to be Scott as Lee Harvey Oswald. And so he went to makeup, and he was walking down the hall and absolutely blew me away. When I saw him, I said, Scott, is that you? I, didn't, I hardly recognized him. So that was another favorite episode of mine. And... Uh, we had a great makeup and hair crew. Yeah. Remember the makeup they did on Scott when he played his father? 
What? Yeah, what, one of our girls got an Emmy for hair. That's right, yeah. I mean, the show through her got it. We got a number of Emmys. Ray and makeup. Right. I know uh, Mike Zinberg, I think, won for... He won for... For Vietnam. For, for Vietnam, Vietnam. Yeah. right, right. Uh, what about you, Ron? What was your favorite episode? The Vietnam show was my favorite. He got because, nominated, too, that's why. That's yeah, right. We, <laughs> personal reasons. But it was an era that I could identify with personally, and um, I thought it was very well done. And we did get the Directors Guild um, Best Dramatic Award, I think, for that. And, uh, yeah, we did. The champagne really flowed that night. Compliments yeah, it to did. Mr. Zinberg. <laughs> Uh, now, you have to say, come on, talk a little bit about the fact that we were in a drought and we had to create the, uh, the Vietnamese well, no, jungle. We, no, we, we uh, had to go out of town. We went down to um, Corona Rahusky. and um, went down to the Haragi. Um, Rahagi? Yeah, Rahagi's um, shooting range and then shut down their, um, all their gun work. And then we had a thing where... When we found out it was part of the uh, river water for the city, we couldn't put a boat in there. But they had a, supposed to have a PT boat or a river boat dragging him on a um, water ski as a joke. Well, they finally said no gas engines are allowed. So Diamond came up, uh, and if you didn't, take I, the credit. Yeah, no he says, let's use a helicopter. <laughs> so there you see the scene of the helicopter coming down this river, which they couldn't say no. And there's Diamond on a tow rope being towed by a helicopter, which I've never seen before. So, and that was Diamond's idea, because we, we did not know that we could not put a, uh, a gas boat in there. How did you get in the water? Hmm? I was asking uh, how, he got in the, how he got in the water. It was really funny, because, you know, you open your mouth, and then afterwards you think, what the hell did I do that for? Um, <laughs> What, which I didn't know when I first got there, and I was getting, we were getting ready to do this scene, I stepped in the water, and it was just, you just sank in the mud. I mean, there was no way you could do a shore start. The water wasn't deep enough to do a deep water start. So what I ended up doing was, I got a log, and I placed the log in the water, and I stood up on top of the log, and I took like five coils, if you know how to ski, you take five coils, and the helicopter was hovering up there, and then I just told him to go, and at the time, I just threw the rope out and jumped off the stump. And went, I was a pretty good water skier back then when I was a kid, so. Uh, and that's how it happened. But the water was only two to three feet deep through the, this whole thing. And so at the end, this kid is supposed to go, you know, fall off the ski and go underwater. Well, try to go underwater in two feet and not be... <laughs> You know, and I was doing about 60 miles an hour when I had to let go, you know, actually fall so I could go down. Because you couldn't just let go and coast. You had, to, you had to make a fall so you could, you know, so it looks like he disappeared. So when Scott's in the helicopter, he said, he's gone. He's, you know, I can't see him. So that was pretty tough, you know. But it all worked out, and everybody was happy, I guess. So very I've impressive. learned to, not to stick my foot in my mouth anymore. <laughs> You did it. You put yourself in a number of pretty dangerous <laughs> situations for us. And it, it, I think it's, again, what set the mark for the quality of the show. So thank, thank you. you. No, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank all of you guys for being here. All right, Mike, what's your favorite show? I, I would have to say that one because um, it was entirely different. We had to deal with all new... Um, areas, water people, the military about trying to bring ships in, 
um, putting up crews on distant location, and then unfortunately that those nights drinking in the bar and meeting all the local girls. <laughs> My friend Mike is known to this day as the unofficial mayor of Corona. Um, while Diamond just tells us about his favorite show, if anyone has questions for these amazing people, there's mics on either side of the stage, and you can kind of go over there and and uh, tell us what you're thinking. Go ahead. What's your favorite show? Uh, I'd have to say The Leap Home. I mean, what a great, great concept to be able to go back and see your family, you know, once they're gone. I would think that would have to be one of my my favorite shows or the western one where he jumps into the gunfighter and you you wrote that for me <laughs> Deborah was nice she got you know do a western something and so she wrote that and uh, that was one of my favorites but the leap home I think would be very special to anybody think about going back and seeing somebody who's dead you know and to be able to recreate that and tell them how much you really do love them I think that's something very special. Yeah. And try not to eat I red do. meats. <laughs> Say what? Remember he told him not to eat meats because it was going to kill him? Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so you yeah. can change a little history, you know. Um, let's see who we've got here. Let's start with this. Tell us your name and where you're from. My name's Mindy, and I'm from Connecticut. And I just have a comment for Harriet because I need to thank her because it's been a long time. And this is my first con. And a long time ago, when I couldn't get to these cons, I wrote her a letter. And I said, I would really love to get an autograph from Scott and Dean. And I sent along something to have signed. And she got it for me. And she returned it. <laughs> so I just really wanted to thank her very much. Oh, you're that. very welcome. Thanks, Mindy. Okay, over here. Hi, my name is Dennis. I'm from Chicago. All right, I'm from Chicago. Yay! <laughs> Um, coming from a uh, Vietnam-era veteran, uh, I want to say thank you to all of you for writing that story. Uh, it was a great story. It, it touched my heart, and um, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you. Thank you. Well, well we, we want to thank you for serving. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for serving. Hi, my name is Nancy. Uh, I did love the Vietnam show very much. I'm from West Hills. But my question is, at the very end of the show, um, I forgot the name of the gal that is the photographer that took the picture where Al turns around and you see a young Dean Stockwell. How did they do that? Do you remember? At the How very did we make Dean look young? Well, it, lo it looked like... A lot of Dean, makeup. It, no, it actually looked like him when he was in his 20s they and 30s. A, and they took a was picture that or was, how did they do that? Over the bar. Right, I mean, all right, see, these are some of the tricks that, that we in Hollywood do. Um, the shot of Dean was far enough away so that in the picture itself you couldn't, you couldn't see the details of Dean. Mm -hmm. When the shot was shown, the grace of airbrushing was able to age him down and so it really made it look like I mean truthfully we could take a picture of you and for the most part we can make you probably 10 years younger I'll take it with that <laughs> <laughs> well I'll take it <laughs> I like that <laughs> listen I gotta tell you it's, it's a very good one okay does that answer yes, that, that the question thank you very much you're very welcome anybody over here oh somebody here I'm Rich from uh, Denver. We had a snowstorm the day before I 
flew here, so I didn't know if I was going to make it or not. Thank you for coming. Thanks. Uh, this is for Mike. I'm a fan of the old uh, 60 series, the Fugitive, that shot a lot on location. It was like kind of like Scott being in a different setting every week in different state. Correct. Was that majority of that show was shot on location? We we, sh we shot mostly on location. However, we stayed within 30 miles of Los Angeles. We have a, a zone we try to stay in, so we don't have to pay the crew. Um, extra money and, and put them up for the night. So most of the locations, which there was another gentleman named Tony Bowers, who was my associate here, and he and I were like 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 panthers, always looking out for everything and finding new places. And it was really difficult because I was going to say the nice part about this show was every script was not the same. It wasn't a gun smoke where you knew Marshall Dillon, you knew this, you knew what was the beginning. Every time we get a script, it was like, okay, we know Scott's in it, we know Dean's in it, and that's all we knew. And it depends on 1955. I remember one of my favorite was when he became a girl, when he dressed up. A Which time? <laughs> well, the. the yeah, I yeah. can. In the 50s yeah, or the 60s? the 50s. But, but I mean, it's just like one minute Scott's a, 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 a cowboy, the next minute he's a female. And he does have issues, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> he was a monkey. <laughs> and a monkey. Yeah. He was, he was a so chimpanzee. the nice part about the whole thing is that we did try to stay inside the zone. The times we didn't is when we needed to shut down a boulevard. We had to go to Lancaster because we were film friendly. And then we had to go to Corona for the Vietnam show. Then we had a show where we went out. Went to Big Bear. No, we never went to Big Bear. Yeah, we did. We shot the snow episode. The snow episode. That's we needed oh, snow. Oh no, no, we went. We went up, not up to Big Bear. We went up Angeles Crest. Angeles, Angeles Crest. Crest, right? But that wasn't out of the zone. We stayed. We we parked. In other words, it was the Native you, American you, episode. You, you can't. You can't. No, the Native American. Oh, yeah. Okay. Freedom. It was we, freedom. Um, we okay. have to drive the crew to 30 miles. We can stop them there. They get into a bus, and we can bus them out of the zone. So it was w within that. But we never went up to Big Bear. I don't think we went up to Angeles. Crest Angeles Crest. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it was anything within 30 miles of Los Angeles we stayed, and finding areas were difficult. We'd have to have people take antennas down. We'd have to change uh, awnings. We'd have to do a lot of different things to at least get the best look we could. We went to the um, Ambassador Hotel when it was an Ambassador Hotel, because that was around since the 30s. We went um, to ballrooms, old ballrooms. We went to anything that was built in the 20s and 30s. Yeah, I was wanting to know, like, if, if you had stuff in the 50s, you'd had to, like, rent old cars. Oh, yeah, now, that was our transportation people. And, yeah, and they would, they would go and um, go on the Internet. They would call, look at the different car um, suppliers for the right. industry and pick those up. But, um, yeah, we, we used to go to a place called Values A Ranch, and they had the old Jeeps, their old, the old Western town, the old um, um, different old, old situations. Town. And Cameron Burney was brilliant at being able to take a set and make it the period. His, his attention to detail, what was in the windows of the shops, you know, what would have been there at that time, what was in, in Genesis when he leaped in and the young boy was playing and he wore his uh, Davy Crockett hat. I mean, the attention to detail between uh, wardrobe, Jean-Pierre Jorliac, was he yesterday, here yesterday? Ah, Jean-Pierre was amazing. Uh, Cameron Burney was amazing. Like I said, we had an incredible team. Yeah, Cameron was a great guy because we, we had to work really close together because he would have an idea for an interior of a set, and sometimes we would build on stage, but we'd have to find the exterior. And on the average, we would 
probably hit it 90% of the time, and every once in a while I would miss. And I remember one time where Cameron just went off on Tony and I, because we wanted a certain location, and he already built a set which we didn't know. And so we had to crawl in on hands and knees and crawl up to his leg and hug his legs for about five minutes before he liked us again. <laughs> that's a true story. Yeah, that was a true story. I held the leash for both of them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, and Bob Ziliox. Bob, fact, Bob, Bob, Bob Ziliox is one of my neighbors now, yeah. and um, he's out of the business now and retired. But all of us, like I said, it was all about set dressing. It was all about the look to make you believe that we're in that year. And I think we did a terrific job, and I think you actually believed it. Yeah, I think so too. Question. Hi, um, I'm, I'm one thing you should, too bad you can't be there. When we did have our concept meetings, that was probably the most exciting part about making the That's thing. It, it all germinated from there, and it all grew, and all of a sudden people started getting creative and started coming up with better ideas, even in the script, and then Don would go back and write to it. And then I have to admit one thing. You'd walk by Don's office, and Don would be behind his... Electri uh, selectric or an electric typewriter, I don't remember the name. For a long time, yes. We and did he, get him to a computer. Going, oh, yeah. oh. And he would actually be playing out the scenes, and you'd walk by his office and you'd think, that man's, that man's nuts. But he would just be the most, he, I think the best time of his life is when he's behind the typewriter and yeah. making this happen. And he just, he just comes up with creative ideas. He's a very talented man. Kept very me working, too. <laughs> Kept <laughs> working, too. Uh, question. Uh, my name's Heather. I'm from Massachusetts, and Hi, uh, we've been hearing so many great stories about Scott and everything. But I have to admit that Dean was the reason I really loved the show. So I was just wondering if anyone had any stories about working with him, any funny memories or anything. Well, I think it, when we're talking about Scott, we're also talking about Dean because they were they were a duel, and um, and Scott never ever caused a problem. He was just always there. He, was, he knew his lines. He never caused a problem. I, th I really believe, I think them as one, because they, they were just the, the part of the energy that kept us going. Because don't forget, we worked 12 to 18, 19 hours a day. And numerous times on lo bad locations, I remember wrapping up at 11 o'clock at night, going home, sh showering, shaving, going back into my car, go to the location, and have the guard wake me up at 4 o'clock in the morning. So they were long, grueling hours we used to put in. Which oh, I have a Dean story. <laughs> Good. I used to go to the set a lot to get pictures signed. And uh, I would come on to the set, and Dean would be sitting at a table. And he'd jump up, and I said, Oh, Dean, you don't have to get up every time I enter the set. And he said, I will always stand up when you enter a room. It was so heartwarming. And then my favorite story is the last episode. Unfortunately, mirror image, unfortunately we knew while we were shooting it that we weren't going to be picked up. And every birthday, we always had a birthday cake for everybody, and I was kind of in charge of getting a birthday cake for Scott and Dean, and we'd come up with some funny thing to write on the cake. And it was Dean's birthday the next day after we wrapped. So we moved it up a day, and uh, Scott said, it's our last day. I don't want any visitors. I just want my cast and crew around me. 
And uh, Dean was in that great white uniform, the Admiral's uniform. And he was kind of on a dais, and we presented him with the cake and the candles. And he blew them out, and he looked over at us, and he said, you know what I wished for? Just one more year. Yeah. And that's Dean. Thank you. I think I told, if you were here on Friday, I was telling my Dean story. Mm -hmm. um, and my favorite Dean story was on another mother. And I had written for Troyan, her kind of first speaking role. And I had taught her her lines, and she was really excited to do it. And Dean walked onto the set. And he looked at Troyan, who he'd seen several times down there, and he looked at me, looked at Troyan again, and he walked over to me and said, why is she here? And I said, oh, I wrote her. I wanted to see what mom and dad did. I wanted her to experience it. She's really good. She knows all her lines. And he said, do you need the money? <laughs> and I said, what? I, what? <laughs> he said, do you need the money? I said, well, no, no, no. I really just want... He said, do not take away her childhood. And his words and the look in his eyes was so poignant that it made me realize, here's a man who was a Broadway star at five years old, how he grew up taking care of his family and he didn't get to be a kid. And it made me step back and say, you know what, you're absolutely right. This is her life. When she wants to do it, which she's doing it now, she's graduating from USC, she's a fabulous actress, but it was her choice. And, you know, I, I wish her such success because she started with a great. Dean stayed by her side every second she was on that set to protect her, and it made you go, what did he go through in the course of his time there that made him say that and that made him say, please don't do this to this little girl. And I respect him to this day for it, and if he were here, I'd thank him again. Well, there's one more Dean's, Dean's uh, story I liked, and it had nothing to do about our show. It's when he got the uh, star on Hollywood Boulevard. Right. He was so humbled and kept saying, I don't deserve this. My friend owns it, needs this, or has it. He, he, here's a man who been in the business for, since five years old, and he was very, almost embarrassed about getting a star on Hollywood Boulevard, which I thought was really classy. He didn't think he deserved it. He just was totally shocked that he would get one. So it was a man who had no ego. And then this business is really rare. Had great humility. Yes. <laughs> Do you have something you want to share? You know what? I'm sorry to say it was 20 years ago. And, <laughs> and, and I'm sure that there were a lot of funny stories because he was a very funny man. Always smoking a cigar. And, uh, but I don't remember anything. In, you know, Did that he bring we, in a stripper? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, what was that story? It was a well, he, surprise, wasn't it? He, well, you know, some things I think should be be behind the scenes. <laughs> it was a birthday surprise. <laughs> yeah, something. Well, well, I know, but you know, let's give him a. Well, for one of his birthdays, we we all chipped in and bought him a stripper to come in on the set, and it was and and she did a, a dance, a lap dance, and some other things. It was it was very. <laughs> And he was very humble. 
you know, I mean, he did but, blush. You know, that's, but that's, you know, that's the way he was. He he was, you know. Now Scott probably would have got up and danced with her, you know. <laughs> but he was very, he was very cute. He was very shy and humble, and, and in the back of his mind, you go, he's going, yeah. <laughs> but he, he was, was a very Al. humble man. <laughs> it, it, just one word. He was a gentleman. He was an absolute gentleman. Uh, we have one question over here. Hi, I'm I'm Debbie from Dallas, Dallas Fort Worth. Uh, <laughs> Debbie, yeah, hi always Debbie. Gets, always gets a reaction. Hi, this is mostly I guess for Diamond. Um, listen to you tell the the helicopter story. Did you um, were you conservative and you did a lot of just what they told you to do, or did you use this as an excuse to say, "Ooh, I always wanted to try that. Uh, I want to suggest this. Why don't we do this?" You, you know what? I had a lot of freedom to do that, but. I kind of listened to whatever Don wanted to do. Um, he he was he was very he he just knew the right things to write, and so I just kind of went along with whatever he wrote. And sometimes he'd ask me questions of, of how to do this or how to do that, and I would tell him. But mainly the writers on, we had such a great writing staff that everybody wrote and if there was a question they would ask me how can we do this to make it work I could, and I would tell them my idea of how it to, to work but I didn't really come up and design anything ever that, that's really that, not that my I disagree job. with I was going to disagree with that's that not, too that's that's not with really I'll my tell you job. why I, is I, we, we spent hours yeah, and well, days looking for these riverboats and we finally got the Navy the okay bringing a riverboat in and then we found out we couldn't put the boat in the water and we were in a meeting and Don's going what do we do guys and we're all going I don't know it's, I that's said, one I, I, incident no but I'm just saying but for the helicopter thing yeah that was that was you and only you coming up with that idea one time one incident <laughs> okay but Don I, I, I in his behalf I have to say I have I've been in the business now for 42 years, and I have never, ever seen a writer-producer sit down in a production meeting and rewrite a script while you're having the meeting. I mean, it, it was unbelievable to me. You would get one script. By the time we were done with the production meeting, he would have a whole different... I mean, it was all the same idea, but everything was changed. He, he was fabulous that way. He, he still is. He can just... The things that come in this man's mind to write, it's, it's amazing to me. He's a great mentor because to everybody. Because I, I couldn't write a Dick and Jane book, and I'll be, you know. <laughs> but this man, to change the stuff he could do in a production meeting, it, it was amazing. Hey, Diamond, I have a story for you. Uh, one day, the supervising producer came in with the script that was shooting and said to Don, we're over budget, what do we do? Well, Don took the script, flipped a few pages, picked up a pen, and went like this. You know, Xing out scenes. To, now, it was all in his head. Yeah, and he you knew. I, he that, knew. He, just, I he was, had a, I was, that was a miracle. Yeah. How he just. <laughs> but you have to look at it too. I mean, Don was an amazing writer, is an amazing writer. I think he's an unsung hero in Hollywood and should have been honored so much more than he was. But he could take a script, and, and I, I take great pride in, in learning from him, and, and edit it like nobody I'd ever seen. You know? But he could also take a show and edit it. There was a, a show that we did that took place in the 50s that dealt with the Bay of Pigs.
and it wasn't working and it wasn't working and and I asked him I said can't we make it so that it has an immediacy to it and I said isn't there a way that we can make it seem like this film is happening right now but in those days it was shot on film then you had to take it to the studio so unlike today where you're in the midst of it as it's happening we couldn't do that but he said you know this is a great idea here's what we can do and we went in and re-edited that show to add a level of immediacy to it that even though you knew what was going to happen um, within the history of it there, the tension was created in the editing so his gift as an editor I think is both on the page and in film is, is amazing we have one more question over there um, Morgan from Houston Hi, and uh, my question was for you Deborah. It, there have been some other shows where writers have wanted to go forward and have wanted to produce other episodes and they've put out novels and I know you've put out novels and they're great uh, there was a, a, a large book that was put out about the series that never was which was Star Trek 2 series which was going to be on a Paramount Network and then it never happened and there was a large book that was put out with all of the ideas that were going to be in it that didn't make it and you had mentioned yesterday that you had some of that sixth season of Quantum Leap. You had some ideas. And I was wondering if, if anything has ever, if there's ever been an idea, I know it's been 15 years, if there's ever been an idea to say, well, here's, here's some ideas we had, and then maybe... Uh... Uh, it was never put down. I mean, we, we, until we knew we were not going forward, we were going forward. And it was one of those shows where we could do anything. Anything you could imagine. We had a great you know, cast. Um, Scott was every man, and woman sometimes. <laughs> and chimp. Um, but yeah, we had some amazing ideas that we wanted to um, explore and didn't get to. Uh, the novelist that wrote books really took the show in heart, and I think the novels that I have read captured the essence of the show and the history of the show, and I thank them. I know Chris is here, and who, is, who else is Right. Are, there, are any, any of the authors here? Stand up, say hi, if you don't know. <laughs> um, but we never had the chance to do that. I know what you're speaking about, that book. Um, but we never had the chance to do that. And, you know, who knows? As long as the fans are here, I think that there is an opportunity. You know, we've talked about doing movies. We've talked about bringing a show back. But the, the magic that was this show um, it w is a rare jewel. One more question over here. Hi. Hi. Thanks. Uh, my name is Alexis. I'm from the area. Um, and I was wondering, um, did you ever have um, historians or physicists or, or people of that sort consulting on the show regularly or regular members of the crew? Or, or was that just kind of you guys did all that research on your own? How, did, how were you able to... I mean, there were some things that came up. Like, I never knew that 911 didn't exist before the 1970s. Is that right? <laughs> Stuff like that that was inserted into the show that was really interesting. And also, you know, really big historical events in history. Um, how did you Each of us thing? received a um, history of the 20th century. And to the credit of the writers, because uh, I was head writer... They or we did an amazing amount of historical research. Universal has an incredible library, and in that library, um, you could request certain things from certain periods. So they would send. When I did the um, the Color of Truth, 
they sent me uh, articles about the South and pre-civil rights uh, in that time. And I found an article of uh, a man who had worked for 35 years and sat in the kitchen every day while she sat in the dining room and had her tea. So that scene between Sam and um, Miss Melanie was based on a real piece of history that occurred. And the way I got to change it was, in that real history, they never sat down at the table. And I said, you know what? This is a man who's from the present. Actually, from the future. But he's a man who's from the <laughs> present. And his sensibility would be, no matter who I am, I'm a human being. And this woman is alone, and I'm alone, and it would make more sense for me to cross that threshold and sit with her. And even though she protested, it was the impetus that made her stand up to society in the end to make that piece a, a story that showed how we as individuals can influence history. Does that answer? Yeah, thank you. That's just one example. All the music, all the research, again, it was a team effort. Then did you ever consult physicists or scientists for the show? I mean, I know that there wasn't a huge scientific basis in it, um, but it gets one's mind working and wondering, you know, like... <laughs> you know, you had to do some research on it. I know the book, I gave book, uh, a book to Don um, when, when the show was being created called A, Sh a Brief History in Time by Stephen, Stephen Hawking. Hawkins. And the whole concept of what quantum leaping was, was in that book. And we talked about the idea of instantaneously shifting from one place to another. And, and in, a sense, in essence, this show rewrote the, the known rules of time travel, which is what the press said. We, wrote, we weren't adhering to the rules of time travel. So... Um, I don't remember a physicist working with us on the show. I know we did have technical advisors for, for a number of the episodes, the Vietnam episode, anything that had to do with the military, we brought in advisors. Um, and any time you could get in a conversation. As sometimes a, even 20 years later, sometimes even now. What was it about this show that made you take those risks, that made it so much ahead of its time? Where was that coming from? This well, is to the whole you, panel. to you. I mean, take it. Um, you know, I, I, I'll tell a story in the sense that the first season that we did, I wrote The Color of Truth, and I wrote What Price Gloria, and at first, a number of people said, don't do that till year three, don't do that till year three, and to Don's credit, to Brandon Tartikoff's credit, they, you know, took off the shackles and said, write what you want, write what you feel. And so I really felt this was an incredible opportunity as a writer to, to look at those um, social events and to comment on them from our point of view. So if you look at a lot of the shows that, that I got to write, I talked about sexual harassment, I talked about racism, I talked about um, women's liberation. Um, because those are things that I believe are ongoing. Gay rights. Um, Bobby Duncan, who's no longer with us, uh, about gay rights in, in the military. So the show became that kind of platform. And you're right. Television still today does not represent the, the, um, the opportunity or does not explore the opportunity to, to talk to the public and get them thinking, because one of the other gifts that this show had, 
and I, and I honor it again. And this is Don at his best. The show had the ability to say, think about this, and then let the audience make the decision themselves. Um, I, I think, unless you guys have something last to say, there's... It's up to them. To them, they don't... Any more questions? I, I think that's... Oh, okay. I have one last thing that I want to do, and, and I have to give this to Brian and, and again, the, the team. Deborah Sell and Adina are some incredible fans that have been with Harriet for a very, very long time. When she discovered you guys on the internet and brought it back to us, and she opened my eyes to, I think, the future of where entertainment has gone today. And I continue to pursue it there. Uh, I wanted to acknowledge these ladies, but I also wanted to th say thank you to Brian A. again for putting on an incredible convention. But I said to him, you know, we should give Harriet an award because the reason these cons happen is because they, she got behind it and she made it happen, and they took me to heart. Harriet? Oh, oh my God. For your continued support of Quantum Leap fandom from yeah. the Leap. Have fun. I think there's some surprises today and some people today you want to see. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, guys. And that was panel six from The Leap Back 2009. And thank you so much to Brian Green for letting us play that. Really appreciate that. Anytime. Next time we'll be playing the first panel, which is from Disc One, and that's Deborah Pratt. Deborah Pratt, besides being one of the co-producers and co-creators of the show, also is one of its biggest fans. And it was our pleasure to have her on for her own Q&A, where she talked about all various topics of Quantum Leap and the fandom. So I hope you enjoy that. And that's coming up next time on A Look Back at the Leap Back. With me, I'm Albie. And I'm Brian Green. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.